Well, happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. And uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Genesis chapter 50 as we finish up this book. The Memorial Day weekend always reminds me of a lot of stories and interesting things that I've heard. Remember a story about a lady who had a husband who was very, very ill. He was an atheist. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to draw out about $100,000 and I'm going to put it in a satchel and I'm going to put it in the attic. And when I die, as I'm going up, I'll just grab it and take it with me when I go. And so the wife thought, well, that sounds like an idea. Well, a couple weeks later, the man died. And so anyway, all the tears and all the arrangements and everything that was done, neighbor lady came over and said, by the way, did you check to see if he picked his money up as he died as he was going up to heaven? And she goes, I don't know. I forgot all about it. Let's go look. So they went up to the attic and there the satchel was with the money in it. She looked at her friend and she says, I told him to put it in the basement. You know, it's funny, when we go by the, the uh, memorial parks and the cemeteries, we see all the flowers, and we think about the memories of those that we love that are not with us. Now, I've got some good news for you here this morning. If they were a Christian and they've gone on before you, they're part of your welcoming committee. I always like that. The Bible says you'll be no stranger there. The Bible says we'll be known as we're known. And I like that about God's word because uh, it tells me that we don't go to heaven and we completely forget everything we've gone through here on this earth, but we'll be known as we're known. Paul says we're not exactly sure what we're going to be, but we know when we see him, we're going to be like him. That same glorified body that Jesus had, that could still eat, which is good news for all of us that like to eat, We like to eat so much, we thought, Memorial Day weekend, yeah, let's have food. Okay, so we're going to do that afterwards. But the Bible also says he could appear, he could appear behind locked doors to the disciples. He vanished out of the people's sight, uh, his disciples' sight, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, we, we know that God had this, this, this supernatural body arranged for us as well when that time comes. A, bi- a body, the Bible says, that doesn't be and can't be corrupted uh, by the old curse that we're all under. And so that's good news. But you know, you go out there to the memorial parks and you see the birth date and you see a little line in the death date. That little line was their life. And you think about that for a minute. We're just, we're just here for a short time. So we want to do the most we can for the kingdom of God while we can. Last week, I was going to finish up this chapter, but we had smoke come out of our, our, um, our PA board back in the back. And we knew it wasn't kind of a, a party or anything. Uh, but we had smoke come out of it. So I wanted to postpone it to this week. Unknowingly, when I really thought about it, there's more about really funeral arrangements and death in this chapter than probably any of the other ones other than speaking of Jesus. There's more detail about a funeral in this particular chapter than anywhere else. And what an interesting time to have it on Memorial Day weekend. I thought that's amazing. God's timing is awesome. So, by the way, afterwards, uh, we have a great meal for everybody. You say, well, I'm visiting. I didn't bring anything. It's not really a potluck. It's just where we come together, fellowship, eat. And if you've come from a long way to be here today, I 
want you to know you're welcome and you're welcome to stay and visit with everyone. And I usually give everybody a little book called Time to Grow, as well as a couple DVDs, Evolution versus God and uh, God of Wonders. If you don't have that, you're visiting here today. I want to be sure you get one because, again, very good for you, very good for witnessing tools. You know, ministering to relatives sometimes and friends is one of the hardest things I think we all endure. (laughs) I mean, because we want to tell them about the Lord, but the closeness makes it sometimes hard. And so letting somebody watch a DVD, hey, take this home, watch it, tell me what you think. And they'll do that, and it starts opening their heart to the Lord. And so I want to be sure to give you one of those if you don't have that. Again, we're in Genesis 50, but before we go into chapter 50, we have uh, one last verse in chapter 49 we'll cover. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we thank you for your word, that it encourages us, and it's good, and it sticks to us inside and causes us when these days come upon us that we'll know what to do and trust you in all things. And so now, as we study these words together, may you give us that boldness, cause us to remember these things, and most of all, Lord, anoint these words with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The last verse of chapter 49, verse 33. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, um, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. This is where Jacob dies. Now, what's interesting from Jacob, we get a lot of really amazing things. And the Bible tells us, that from him, um, and especially as he's going through and blessing his sons, and some of them he's actually rebuking in this last thing right before he dies, one of the things that he says in verse 24 to Joseph, now this is from Jacob, it says, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the lineage of Jacob will come a shepherd, the stone of Israel. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And all the way through, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. So in other words, when you read the Old Testament, always look for Jesus because he's there. All the scripture points to him. There's a saying in the Hebrew culture that says, even when Messiah comes, even the space between the letters will mean something. Well, now as we go into chapter 50, then Joseph fell on his father's face, wept over him, and kissed him. He knew this would probably be the last time on this earth that he would see his father. Even though dead, now he knows that it's time to, for that great departure. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. It's interesting that that Egypt is still bombing Israel today. Just sorry about that. I came across that. I couldn't miss that one. No, he commanded the Egyptians to embalm his father, very much like the pharaohs. King Tut. You know, I mean, that's the whole thing. That's what he was doing. And so the reason why is, again, he was going to take him away and they were going to bury him in the land of Canaan. And so it says 40 days were required for him 
For such are the days required for those who are embalmed, and the Egyptian mourned for him 70 days. 72 days, according to historians, tells us this is what they would mourn for their Pharaoh if he died. 70 days for Jacob is a great honor, and it showed that all of Egypt, all of Egypt, had respect for uh, Jacob because of what Joseph did. Now you remember Joseph is his son. His brothers hated him. And we remember that they hated him so much, he had a coat of many colors. They tore his coat all up. They sold Jake, uh, Joseph into slavery. So he goes down to Egypt where he's bought by Potiphar, this Egyptian <coughs> head of this uh, special police. His wife accuses him of, of rape. Joseph ends up in prison. But that's where he met the butler, who then would eventually tell Pharaoh about his ability to interpret dreams. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh about the seven uh, fat cows and the seven skinny cows, and how the seven fat cows ate up the, or the, the seven skinny cows ate up the seven fat cows, and they were still scrawny. And he looks at Pharaoh and says, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a famine come upon the land of Israel in seven years. And are going to be so bad that if you saved up everything you can do right now, it's barely going to make it, you're barely going to break even. And he said, you, Joseph, be my prime minister. He went from prison to prime minister in a day. And you know, it's interesting because all the things that he went through were all divinely orchestrated by God. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But understanding why Egypt had such respect for Jacob and Joseph was because it was through them that Israel and the whole Middle Eastern world was preserved. And so it says, for they mourned for him for 70 days. And when the days of mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If I have now found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up, bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up, bury your father, as he made you swear. So <laughs> Jacob said, don't bury me in Egypt. I don't want to be here. Now, I, you know, I think it's interesting because in this chapter, we're going to see a couple of interesting things. I know today there's a lot of, and we know as Christians, this old tent, this body we live in. That, By the way, the older you get, the more it breaks down. Have you noticed that? You, you do everything you can do to still make it look good. You know, you get liposuction, they suck it in and blow it out in different places. You get Botox to make the wrinkles go away. You do everything you can do to prop this old tent up. But let me tell you, friends, it's on its way down. You know, it's funny because you hear sometimes on me, well, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's uh, 55, he's uh, midlife. No, you're over the hill. Nobody goes 110. I know that's hard for some of us to, to grasp. But, you know, you don't have to be in your 
50s and 60s, 70s and 80s to start having pains in your body. I, I talked to people that I know that played football in college and even in high school that because of the injuries they've gotten, they still fight with that. They still get up in the morning and go, oh, you know, it's like the old saying goes, this guy goes to the doctor. And he, he's got a spot on him this big around and, and above his knee. And he says, look, I got this on my knee right here. And the doctor says, yes. He goes, that's the only place that doesn't hurt. Do you have anything that will make the rest of me feel like that? Well, it's true. We get, we, we get older. You, you realize that even your aches and pains have aches and pains. How does this work? You know, you know, you see all these people, you know, the young, they were sporting around, you know, I had the crown of thorns around their arm, and then their skin sags, and now it looks like a picket fence. You know, all these kinds of crazy things going on, and you go, man, I'm getting old, I don't know what to do, how do you fix this? Hey, listen, we're looking for the upper taker. That's one of the things the Bible says. God has prepared a place for you and me in heaven. And I don't, I don't ever want to lose sight of that any day of the week. Because if I do, I can, I can begin to think that what I see is important. God wants us to understand that we're just a passing through here. Work for the night is coming when no one can work. And again, as we look and depend upon God, Jacob said, don't bury me in Egypt. Now, I know a lot of times we think, well, it doesn't matter. Just cremate me, sprinkle my ashes. Well, yeah, that might be true. And that's a little bit of a, a Middle Eastern philosophy, not, not Hebrew and not biblical uh, Christianity. Because the body to them meant something. And it doesn't mean so much to maybe me because uh, this old tent's going to fade away anyway. But you know what? We find a lot about bodies in the Bible. And I had a friend that ran one of the memorial parks here years ago. He said, you know, people that were, that are buried, their relatives, their grandkids deal better with death than those who are, are, are cremated and sprinkled as if they never existed. There's a place where somebody is, that's where my grandpa, that's where my grandma, that's where my mom, dad, brother, sister are, because they can deal with it, they can bring closure to it. That's, I believe, why. Do you know why people in the Hebrew, in, in Jewish culture, didn't cremate bodies? Because the Bible says we were created in the image of God. And the Jewish people had such respect that we were created in the image of God that they dare not burn it. Just bury it, let it decay, let it do its own thing. That's why. That's why you don't find cremation up until about the last hundred years in American culture being popularized in the church. I'm not against it. If you've got relatives that are cremated, maybe you've got grandma and an urn on your, on your uh, fireplace mantle. I don't have anything against that or for that. I'm just saying that the idea did not come from the Bible. It came from uh, Hinduism and all those other isms that are out there because they believe you're going to come back and be reincarnated into something else. Well, again, this is uh, because you're burning off your bad karma. I guess the fire helped. I don't know. So understanding that there was a respect for the body, Jacob said, don't bury me here. So his body was embalmed. It allowed them to take him someplace else to be buried. Pharaoh had such respect for Joseph that he said, go take your dad, go bury him back in your homeland. Verse 7. So Joseph went 
up to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. This was a big entourage that came. Such respect they had for Joseph as well as Jacob. As well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, all his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. Now again, the land of Goshen was the best part of Egypt where Pharaoh said, you bring your family, you settled there. And they came to the threshing floor of Erlad, Ertad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with great and very solemn lamentation. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, it also says that there were the chariots and the horsemen and a very great gathering. So they went to this place and they had great lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaan, saw the mourning of the threshing floor of Artad, they said, this is a grievous mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, the name of it's called Abimarism, which is beyond the Jordan, means mourning of Egypt. I suppose the people there in the land of Canaan didn't know they were Jewish people. They just saw it was some big Egyptian thing, and I'm sure they didn't understand what was really going on. And so it says, So his sons did for him just as he commanded him. For his sons carried him in the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought in the field of Ebron, the Hittite, property for his burial place. And the Bible tells us here that he, after he buried his father, Joseph returned, Egypt and his brothers, and all went with him uh, and his father. Now, what is interesting here in this particular story is that um, he buried him where Leah was buried. Not where Rachel, if you follow the story at all, it, 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 Jacob fell in love with a girl named Rachel. Went to her father and said, look, I, I want to marry your, your daughter. And because literally Jacob ran from, for his life away from Esau, she, his mom just said, go and, and we'll take care of it. He wasn't there to get anything. He just left without anything. And so he had no dowry that he could give uh, his to-be father-in-law. By the way, if you want to know what dowry was in the Bible, it was, it was um, alimony paid in advance. <laughs> That's what it was. Uh, and something happens, hey, okay, here, you got some. He says, I'll work for you for seven years for the hand of your daughter. And so he said, okay, on the wedding night, you remember the story, uh, they have, you know, he consummates the marriage. In the morning, he pulls back the veil, and it's the ugly duckling sister. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He is rise. He goes down to Laban's house. He goes, what is this that you've deceived me? I worked for you for seven years and you give me the ugly duckling sister. I don't want her. The Bible says she had weak eyes. I don't know what that means. But she had weak eyes. And he's mad. And Laban goes, well, in our country, it is customary that the older daughter gets married first before the younger daughter. If you want the younger daughter, another seven years. 
He said, okay. He said, fulfill her week. I'll float you, Rachel, on a seven-year payment plan. I'm, I'm serious. I'll float you a deal. And so you get the deal. And so he ends up with two wives. He didn't want two wives, but that's what was dealt with him. And all the way through, you'll read about how Leah would have a son, and she kept saying, maybe now, maybe now Jacob will like me. Maybe now he'll love me. And Judah was born to Leah, which through we have Jesus. In fact, it's interesting that the, the lineage of Judah goes to the unloved one. In fact, when you really follow the lineage of Christ, you find a lot of very unusual people in his family tree, like Gentiles, like Rahab the harlot. You find all kinds. But one of the things that I thought was so amazing is the unloved woman, is the, the, her child is the one through Jesus came. Do you think Jesus doesn't want to relate to all of us? Knowing what it's, unli- what it's like to be unloved. But what is so amazing in this story, he is buried where Rachel's buried? No. He decided he wanted to be buried with Leah. I look at this in this story that we're reading here. Isn't it amazing that maybe when, when, when he thought it all over, when he, when he really sat down and thought it all over, he said, you know, really, I, I do love her. And I want to be buried with her. You know, uh, it makes a big statement. And this whole idea of life and death that, you know, believe it or not, we all have. I, most of you know this. I, 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 I joined the Lazarus Club in December. You go, what's that? I was dead and I came back to life. Yes, I actually did. I had a COVID blood clot in my heart. Uh, uh, after I had COVID, I, it didn't bother me. I didn't go to the hospital or nothing. I felt like I had the flu. But about two weeks after COVID, it's kind of notorious for this crazy disease to make blood clots. Sometimes people get strokes. Sometimes it settles in their arms or legs. Well, mine went into my heart. And I didn't know what was going on. So I ended up at the hospital, make a long story short, it was pain in me, I thought it was gas pains. I go in, I sit down in the chair, they ask me my name, I tell them my name, they wheel me down, lay me on a gurney, pull my pants up, all these stu- with little suckers with wires on them. And by that time, I, it felt like there was like a 90 pound sack of concrete on my chest and it hurt really bad. And I said, I don't know what's wrong. And the doctor says, you're having a heart attack. I go, oh. And I'm laying there and, and, and I hear the, you know, with all the little suckers, boop, 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 you know, and I'm going, oh yeah. And then I looked over at this heart monitor and it was going crazy. And then I hear, ooh, I heard that. I heard myself flatline. I looked at my wife and I said, that's not good. And I went out. I was gone. And then I opened my eyes and here was somebody, this, a nurse, this close to me with a mask on. She goes, do you know where you are? I knew it wasn't heaven because they were wearing masks. <laughs> right there. She goes, do you know where you are? And I go, oh, I, I think I passed out. And she goes, you died. I did? 
She goes, yeah, we paddled you to bring. They hit me with 200 joules. I don't know what a joule is, but I got 200 of them. She says, you're going to be sore in the morning. And so anyway, I was, I was dead for about two minutes. And, and I, I look at that and I, and I go, this is so crazy because life and death is something that, that, you know, that was the last thing I thought would happen to me when I got up on Saturday morning. In fact, I told my wife about 11 o'clock. Uh, the, my heart attack was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I told her at 11 o'clock, you know, I said, I feel the best I felt in a month. And then I died two hours later, you know, or four hours later. I, it's crazy. It's not what you think about. But it's something that we all have to think about. And this is what even Jacob thought about. What do you want to do with my body? Now listen, a lot of people say, well, just cremate me and sprinkle my ashes. You know what's really amazing in this story? He wanted to be buried back at this cave that he bought for Leah. And I look at that, the placement of his body says a lot about his feelings for Leah. Now, if he would just, just cremate me and sprinkle me in the Nile River, that wouldn't have said much. But where he decided to ultimately let his bones lie was next to a wife that initially thought he never loved her. Isn't that amazing how God fixes things? And he fixed that in his life. And so it says, After he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, and his brothers and all who were with him went up to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us, and he may actually repay us for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, behold, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers for their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants, the, uh, the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Wow, he cried. Why did he cry? You know, whenever we see weeping in the Bible, uh, I think you've got to look up close why people cry. And by the way, Joseph cried. Jesus also, Jesus wept at a Lazarus' funeral. Uh, why? As an example, you know, again, the, the whole thing with, with uh, Jesus shows up to Lazarus' funeral four days late after Lazarus had died. And they were all mourning and crying, and Jesus shows up and and uh, looks at them all, and 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 as the Bible says, Jesus wept. Why? Well, his great brother, his friend, was dead. No, he knew he was going to bring him back to life in a few minutes. I believe Jesus was crying over the whole death thing. You look at what sin has done to humanity. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans, all of creation groans under the sin of man. Even the animals groan under the sin of man. You look at the cows out in the, in the heat of the day, or you look at the cows out in the fields when it's snowing hard. I'm sure if you've been around Southern Idaho very much, you'll see this. 
All of this, this goofed up climate of ours is all because of man. And you look at this and you go, wow, God, how is it that man can have such an effect on so many things and on this fallen condition? And, and, and this is one of the things. And so Jesus, I think, just wept and cried over the whole thing. I think in this particular case, he wept. When he heard what his brother said, now we're scared to death that you're going to come and get us now that Pops is gone because, you know, you were good when he was around, but now that he's dead, you're going to come and string us up. Joseph wept. Why? I believe that he, he really goes, my brothers still don't get it. I forgave them. I, I think it broke his heart that, that as they were coming and they were basically pleading for their life, them still not understanding the sovereign hand of God. You see, I've shared this so many times, and if you don't get anything else out of this this morning, please get this. God is bigger than the things you've done wrong, and God is bigger than the things that people have done to you. Now remember, why is that important? Because if you don't see God in your life, you're going to be filled with vengeance. They got me, and I'm going to get you. In fact, when you stop to think about it, it's the way almost everything in our society works. I don't care what movie you watch, they got me, I'm getting you. But that's not the way it is in Christianity. Because when you gave your life to God, God became supreme authority and ownership of you. And nothing, nothing happens to us as Christians by accident. We are in His will. Now you got to think about this for a minute. If it wasn't for all the wicked things that they intended for Joseph's harm, Joseph would have never ended up as prime minister of the world, if you will. If the children of Israel had died in Canaan because they starved to death, there would have been no Messiah, and today all of us would still be lost and dead in our sins. So when you stop to think, God's got a really big plan. And what is so cool, he allows goombas like me to be a part of it. I like that about God. God, in spite of ourselves, says, you know, you're weird, but I love you. And God uses us. They intended to destroy Joseph. The wicked things that they had planned for him, God turned around and excelled him far beyond anything that he would ever have known. And I believe those things bothered his brothers every single day. Do you realize that what we do has an effect on us for the rest of our lives? Now think about that for a minute. Even though Joseph welcomed his brothers in, finally when he revealed who he really was, when they all came begging for food, and he took off all of his Egyptian garb, they go, oh, it's Joseph, whoa. 
And they all had a big dinner together. Still, because of their sin, they were always at edge their entire life. When we sin, remember, it hurts us. But God, it feels so good. God says, yeah, but there's a hook in it. If we can just get rid of Joseph, that favored son of our dad, then we'll be favored sons. Get rid of him. Dip his coat in some animal blood and tear it up. Gee, dad, look, I guess an animal ate your kid. And the Bible says his father cried and wailed and all those things. Can you just see him going in the other room going, uh, how do you feel now? Here's dad in there crying and wailing over his son that he believes dead because we lied to him. Listen, that haunted them their whole life. They never got around it. Sin always hurts us. It never does us good. Joseph was a righteous man. In fact, there's a couple people in the Bible, Daniel and Joseph in particular, are two that we find nothing negative written about them at all in the Bible. No complaining, no anything. Now notice it says, it says that he wept over them when he spoke to them. Verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? In other words, God is the one that if you're really a rat, God will deal with you. I don't have to be God. God will deal with you. The Bible says, Vengeance is mine, and saith the Lord. First of all, for every one of us that are Christians right now, there's not a person in this room, somebody hasn't done you wrong. Amen? Has anybody here had anybody do anything wrong to you? Steal your boyfriend, steal your girlfriend, steal your wife, steal your job, steal whatever. Both my hands are up. First thing, as a Christian, you know... The thing I love about the Lord is this. It's more than just fire insurance. It's more than just having a place in heaven. That's great. But the God takes care of us now. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. First of all, reckon this. If you're a Christian, you belong to God. God puts his golden dome over you. And the only thing that happens to you is what God allows to happen to you. It might be uncomfortable at the time, but it's what God will then use later in your life or to excel you into what he wants you to be. And even though it may come through an enemy, God says, I'm going to protect you. God is bigger than the things that people have done to you. That then for us as Christians takes away any get even mentality that we would have. I'm going to get you. Don't have to. Our God takes care of these things. So first of all, this morning, if you've got any animosity against anyone for something that somebody did to you, I want you to always come back to this morning and reckon it gone. God will deal with your enemies. But you don't know what they did to me, Mike. Listen, I don't know what, what they did to you, but I know God is bigger than the things that were done to you, and God will make it okay. 
God is good for doing that. That's the thing we always can trust God over. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you. I love this. Because in verse 20 he says, You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I like that. He rendered good for evil, friends. Anybody can render evil for evil. But God spoke to Joseph. Joseph knew his God. And instead, he says, look, I'm going to bless you even though you were mean to me. Friends, oh, that we'd be more like Jesus. You know, that's what the world's looking for. You know, back in the, 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 the late 60s, early 70s, that's what people were looking for was love. You know, you hear about saying, love is all you need. You know, all the hippie songs. You see hippie vans, VW vans with love written all over them. I saw a van when I was in California one time. I think the only thing that kept it together was the bumper stickers. It was so rusted out. And we look at all that, and, and, and that was what, what it was. I mean, and you, there wasn't a song hardly on the radio that didn't have something about, love is all you need, love is all you need, love is all you need. The Beatles said, love is all you need, and then they broke up and sued each other. That's another whole topic. But the, but the point is, God offers real love. Love that settles your heart. See, that's what you need. If you're not a Christian here this morning now, you need a love that settles your heart. It isn't just having your sins forgiven. That is good. That is great. But there's something that God builds into us that helps us not sin. Now, now see, again, well, God just doesn't want us to have any fun. No, he wants you to have fun, but he wants you to have fun that doesn't bring an evil conscience your whole life. So what does God do? He becomes your God. He becomes your king. He puts his protection over you. His banner over me is love. That's what he does. He protects us. Now, as a Christian, I realize that if I pray every day, even if I don't pray every day, if I love God, I'm walking in his ways, he's going to direct my footsteps. And as that happens, things are going to come at me, but how I react to those, okay, bless those who abuse you. Why? Because God's saying, I'm bigger than the things they want to do to destroy you. Wow. You mean that's actually putting faith now in gear? Not just using faith words to blab and grab a new refrigerator, but really faith that says... I'm going to trust God that no matter what happens to me today, God, you're, you're still in control. Man, I'll tell you something, friends. That's a freeing experience. Somebody wants to be mean to me, cut me off, do something nasty. Hey, God will recompense it. You know, he will. I don't have to be that. So this gives us then guidance in the way that we're to live. Verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt... He and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Oh, he went 110. 
But by the time of King David, it was down to about 70. People say, well, I've lived longer than 70. I know, and don't you feel every joint in your body? I'll tell you something, getting old is, and, and you know, I, I, listen, real quick, if you're in this room today and you're in your teens, let me tell you something. I remember sitting in a church with a pastor saying these things, going, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. You will. But let me just tell you something. God's got a new body for us. And I look forward to that. Because whether you're 18 or whether you're 80, we need a new body. This one breaks down. It has desires that it shouldn't have. Paul says, I beat this flesh to keep it under control. Why? Because it doesn't know what it wants. I always use the illustration, we're always looking for a new thrill. And I remember one in my own life. I remember when I was in high school and hearing about the Honda 50. Ooh. The Honda 50. The, the slogan was, you meet the nicest people on a Honda. I'm serious. That was their slogan. And then they showed this girl and guy going down the road and their, their little helmets on. And, and they're all happy. But then the Honda 90 came out. Nobody wanted a Honda 50. And then there was the Kawasaki's, and then there was the other ones, and then there was the Honda 500, and then there was the Honda 1000 Goldwing. <laughs> and then there was the Harley Davidsons. You know, Harley Davidsons had a kind of an interesting run. They were going to make computers, but they couldn't figure out how to make them leak oil. But that's another whole thought. I've told you the one about the difference between a Hoover vacuum cleaner and a Harley Davidson. The Harley has the dirt bag on the outside. Okay. Anybody has a Harley? Okay, I had a Harley too, so that's all right. I, I can relate. But, you know, the thing is, is that, is that you, you, you see that, and, and now all of a sudden somebody say, a Honda 50, that's for a 10-year-old. And we always are looking for a new thrill because our flesh doesn't know what it wants. Well, like, marijuana is a gateway drug. Yes, it is. You know why? Because your flesh doesn't know what else. Well, if I got a buzz from that, maybe I got a buzz from this. And pretty soon we're sticking lacquer thinner in our arms. We don't know. Because we're unsatisfied in ourselves. Because satisfaction never comes from outside. It comes from Jesus Christ living you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Now to finish up the story here, he lived to be 110 years old. Joseph saw Ephraim, his children, third, to the third generation, the children of Mekur, and the sons of Manasseh were also brought up on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land in which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And when the children of Israel left, about 300 years later, they're going through the desert and right with them is Joseph in the box. Don't leave me here. You see, I don't know about cremation and ashes. 
I, I know this body doesn't matter. Fire just does what normal decay does. But there's something about the body evidently in the Bible. And Joseph, like his father, didn't want to be buried in Egypt. He goes, get me out of here. And so as he goes, here they all guard, trucking through the desert as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, hauling Joseph around. You think about that for a minute. Boy, who's in the box? Joseph. Why? I don't know. He's just in the box. He didn't want to be buried in Egypt. Friends, God doesn't want to leave you in Egypt either. He's got a new plan for you this morning. And you know, as we look at this and this Memorial Day weekend, and we think about all those that have gone before us, especially in the military forces that gave the ultimate sacrifice so we could have our freedom. So we want to remember them. Remember their families. The, the, the cost. There's a cost. There's a cost in no matter what you do, if it's worth something. This morning, Jesus died for you. The cost for all of us to go to heaven was Jesus dying on the cross and him resurrecting to demonstrate that he had power over death, that if you'll receive him, that same power that brought him back to life will bring you back to life forever through eternity. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, today's your day. You need God's protection in your life. You need somebody that's going to make the wrong. Do you realize how many movies it is there are in the in, 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 that, that are available that deal with revenge? Everything is really nice, and then somebody comes along and goofs it all up, and then Arnold comes along and straightens it all out. You, you think about that, and oh, he's the hero, yay! Do you realize what sin has done to humankind? And Jesus comes along and straightens it all out. You need a hero. We all need a hero. And I pray this morning you realize that that, that Memorial Day, none other so much to be remembered than Jesus Christ who died for you and me. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus into your life, if you're tired of your sins haunting you, and let me tell you something, it doesn't get better. That's why I genuinely believe people drink, why people get stoned, why people get loaded. You're trying to run from the sins you can't erase. They haunt you. Because never the, you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you start thinking about it. I think this is what Joseph's brothers did. Oh no, dad's gone now. Joseph's going to come kill us. And should he have? Yes. But Joseph realized something. God's in control. If you don't have God in control of your life, then you're taking the matters into your own. I want to drive. I want to drive. Do you know where you're going? No, but I want to drive. That's what we're doing. God says it's your day. To get out of the driver's seat, repent from your sins, trying to run your own life, and say, okay, God, from this day forward, I'm going to serve you. If you've never prayed, and you know you need to, you know you need to get right with God. We're going to pray right now, and you can ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. You go, the Bible says you'll pass from death unto life. You're transferring ownership of your life into God's hands. Now God's going to be the one that's going to take care of you. If you're ready, 
Let's pray. You saints, you might want to pray with them, help them out. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. And so now, be the Lord of my life. Bring life into me as Jesus rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to walk in your ways. And thank you for eternal life. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. In Jesus' name, amen.